0: Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. All right, everyone. I am here with Matt Zieler, CEO and founder of Clarify. And we are live at the Future Labs AI Summit. Matt, how are you doing?
1: Good. Thanks for having me on.
0: Absolutely. Thanks for being on. So you just left the stage where you were talking about uh, from research to the real world. Uh, and we'll take a second to get into your talk in a moment. But why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and about Clarify?
1: Sounds good. So I, uh, way back, I grew up in Canada and, and in a small farm town, so I was never exposed to big tech stuff. And that always got me excited seeing it on TV and, and gave me, uh, excitement about starting a company someday. And for, in engineering at University of Toronto is what I did in my undergrad. Uh, it was a pretty cool program called engineering science where you take every discipline of engineering and then for the first two years and then the last two you specialize. And when I was deciding which option to specialize in, I talked to one of Jeff Hinton's PhD students. So Jeff is very famous in this field of AI and he was a U of T professor at the time. And his student showed me this video of a flame flickering and he said it was completely created by artificial intelligence. Hmm. And that's when I knew this was something completely different than anything else I've uh, seen before and anything else I could program, which I knew how to do at the time. And so I had to learn more and I took a computer option and Jeff Hinton's course in third year and then did my undergrad thesis with Jeff. So oh, wow, um, that was quite the opportunity. Absolutely. Um, And I didn't know enough having, you know, just taken undergrad to start a company in this field. So I decided to uh, do my PhD. And that's what brought me to New York to go to NYU. And I focused over four years uh, on neural networks applied to understanding images. And that's exactly what we do today at Clarify. And uh, the last year was particularly exciting where there was a this event uh, called ImageNet that's held every year, Mm -hmm. and in 2012, uh, Jeff Hinton again and two of his PhD students had some really groundbreaking results applying neural networks to this competition compared to other algorithms like edge detection, color detection, simple stuff, and uh, they blew out everybody um, by a huge margin. It was really a step function improvement in accuracy of these things. And so everybody who didn't believe in neural nets all of a sudden started believing in them and that's what really triggered this explosion we're seeing in Uh the ai world and so being at nyu where i was already working on this stuff i could get up and running pretty quickly with that uh, that result and at the start of 2013 and continue to improve it throughout the year and i realized that after interning at google brain which is their neural net team um, the tech I had working back in New York was actually working better than what they had internally. And so I saw that as a big opportunity to start a business because Google is well-known uh, in the AI space, and they were already ahead of many other companies out there. And so that's what triggered it in the fall of 2013, incorporating Clarify and, uh, we ended up winning right off the start of this ImageNet competition. So that was a great way to kick off the company and, uh, triggered a lot of inbound press and, and investors from there. And we've been offering this technology up as APIs and continuing to grow the business through that.
0: Uh, that's pretty amazing. We talk about ImageNet from time to time on the podcast. Uh, anything you can share about the experience um, building up to competing in ImageNet and, and successfully winning it? Yeah,
1: it was a, it was a lot of fun. Um, it was back in the very early days of Clarify. I really started Programming our library and everything back in uh, August of 2013, uh-huh. and the submission deadline was in November. And so I just had uh, in my apartment one desktop with a couple of graphics cards in it because we <laughs> use GPUs for all this type of neural net stuff. And it was just training away constantly. Um, and I submitted five results to the competition, and they ended up winning the top five places. So uh, it was really exciting to, to have those early days of Clarify where it was just me and the one machine. And now we just uh, surpassed 50 people in the company. So uh, it's also exciting now that it's been created to grow the company.
0: That's awesome. Well, one of the questions that I ask frequently and haven't really... I think to date got a very satisfying response, uh, is, you know, when you're trying to, you know, starting from what Hinton's team did in 2012 and you're trying to, um, you know, evolve a neural net architecture to take on a problem. Uh, or if you're starting from scratch, like how do you approach the problem of neural network architecture? What's the thinking and, and the primitives that go into that, that get you to winning image net?
1: Yeah. Uh, I had the very last paper of my PhD was actually uh, focused on understanding these neural networks. Okay. And people have understood what the very first layer of these networks do. So neural nets are composed of many layers Mm of uh, processing that are learned from the data, which is what makes them really powerful. Um, And the first layer you can just visualize. If you look at a neural net applied to images, it ends up learning different edges and different colors very simply in the first layer. But nobody really knew what was happening beyond that in the second layer, third layer, all the way up to however many layers you have. And so the last paper of my PhD was focused on visualizing and understanding convolutional neural networks. And we saw that these edges form into things like corners and circles and T-junctions and parallel lines, kind of mid-level things by the second layer. The -hmm. third layer starts uh, extracting things like eyeballs and noses and ears. And then the fourth and fifth layers might start learning faces. And then the final layers will output person. Um, So it actually builds up these levels of abstraction in a very sensible way. Mm -hmm. And so in visualizing these things, we actually uh, Rob Fergus and I at NYU realized some uh, deficiencies of a neural net architecture that Jeff Hinton used uh, with his team in ImageNet 2012, and so we could actually improve the architecture kind of systematically by looking at these visualizations, and that gave a, a multiple percentage points improvement. And then other things are are more more of an art than a science. It's it there's not a lot of theory around these neural networks. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's more from experience when you see this kind of of behavior uh, change these types of parameters. And so that's why uh, there's very few um, experienced people in this field, and that's why they're so valuable. It's that kind of experience that they
0: bring to the table. Mm. What's an example of if you see this, change that?
1: So... One example is if you, there's something called a learning rate, which tells you how, much, how big of a step to update your model every time you see a new image, in the case of our stuff. Um, and so if you have a really high learning rate, you'll see the accuracy just uh, explode, and you'll see the parameters of the model just explode mm-hmm. into really high values. It becomes an unstable system. And so you know you can actually uh, decrease the learning
0: rate to make that more stable. And that's something that we see with non-neural network machine learning models as well. Are there things that is there an example specifically related to neural network architecture? Like if you're seeing your neural network do X or not do X, maybe you need to add this kind of layer or that kind of layer.
1: Yeah. So the the visualizations that we noticed that looked uh, incorrect in some sense were when we looked at higher layers, there was a lot of blocking artifacts. So Mm. it didn't look like a very sharp visualization Mm -hmm. and so that was a result of the first uh, layer being really large filters and not being applied at every pixel one pixel stride but every four pixels it was taking big jumps Mm -hmm. and so when you visualize it also plots down in big jumps and so that has to be throwing away information Um, it's skipping over too much and so by reducing the stride reducing the filter size it actually increased the accuracy
0: Mm. So it sounds like the lesson then is, or lessons, are that, uh, as you said, it's, you know, there's art as well as science uh, involved. Um, it's highly iterative. Yes. Um, but also I think what I learned in this discussion is that what really gave you the edge was being able to kind of introspect, if you will, what was happening at the different layers of the architecture and using the knowledge that you gain there to evolve the architecture. Yeah, exactly. Um, is the do you remember the name of the the paper that you refer to? It's called
1: "Visualizing and Understanding Convolutional Neural Networks."
0: And is that paper related to the Deep Dream work? Um, at so, a- yeah, it's <laughs> funny. <laughs> <You're> smiling here. <laughs>
1: it's funny you mentioned that. Yeah, I think it's a very similar technique. So, okay. The purpose of my paper was to just go through a network, you input an image, it goes feed forward through a network as if it was about to predict the categories, and then you uh, reconstruct back down to generate a pixel. And mm-hmm. Deep Dream basically did that process in multiple loops. So mm-hmm. they would reconstruct a visualization, add it back to the original image, and then continue that in a cycle. And that's where the, the system essentially gets locked into what it's dreaming about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it starts... Visualizing uh, kind of crisper objects that it can think about. Hmm.
0: Okay, so so Clarify is a bit of a success story in the NYU ecosystem. Kind of where is the company at now in terms of you know however you describe it size scale you know the problems that you're going after things like that.
1: Yeah, so it's been really exciting starting it in my apartment. And then the very first office was at NYU's incubator mm-hmm. uh, on Varick Street. And then uh, at, once we had about 10 people, we got our own office. And that was around when we raised our Series B, which was a pretty big round, $10 million. And then uh, just last fall in October of 2016, we raised our Series B, which was a $30 million round. So lots of funding for growth in the future. And we just surpassed 50 people. Wow. Um, so Growing really quick, and we were only about thirty people at the start of the year. So um, wow, yeah, it's exciting. amazing.
0: Yeah, and so the as I understand the solution that you guys are offering, it is, and uh, you can you know correct and iterate on this, um, but it is a kind of a visual understanding API, if you will, where you feed it images and it will tag those images for you and give you probabilities, um, of the likelihood of those tags. And, you know, that's something that we see, you know, there are numerous versions of this available in the marketplace, you know, including by, you know, big players like Google and Microsoft and Amazon, like what makes clarify different and how do you compete in a crowded field?
1: Yeah. So that's uh, a good summary of, what we offer and have been offering for over three years now. So one big advantage for us is that we've been out at least three times longer than most other people in this space, Okay. which uh, means we've, and because of winning ImageNet early, it means we've had a lot of conversations with customers. We really understand lots of different industries and the problems that each of these customers have in them. And so we try and build those features into our platform. Mm -hmm. And so some examples of that were just launched in the fall. Uh, one is a search product and one is a training product. So search very simply lets you throw in your images to our system and we take care of the rest. We understand them from the pixels up to recognize all these different concepts. And then we let you search um, by the concepts that we can recognize, but also by image. So if you take a picture out in the world, you can find visually similar pictures automatically without even saying a word. So that's really powerful as a discovery tool. And that applies across every industry, like retail. You can use it for shopping gardening, you can use it for gardening ideas or uh, travel for planning your next vacation. It's a universally useful feature mm-hmm. in our platform. And likewise, training is another universally useful uh, feature. We started off with this one-size-fits-all model. We call the general model. We started building what we like to call domain models for food, travel, wedding, real estate, uh, nudity, and so forth. Mm-hmm. So they're more focused on different industries. And then with Custom training, we've gone one step further. Now you can teach the platform to recognize whatever you care about. And this is a huge step ahead of a lot of the other uh, for sure. people out there. And it's really important for our customers because now, you know, if you take a retail setting, they have a way of categorizing their products Mm -hmm. or uh, e-commerce marketplaces people are used to manually tagging this content so they already implicitly have a categorization or uh, for filtering out unwanted content they already have a terms of use that includes nudity and drugs and weapons and even uh, non-offensive stuff like you know they just don't want advertisements on their site or stock photos on their site Mm -hmm. or money or people and so now with custom training you can customize it to recognize exactly what you care about in your business, Hmm. which uh, is very exciting.
0: What kind of accuracy lift do you see customers obtaining with custom training relative to standard or domain models?
1: Yeah, it's a big lift because it's usually trained on their specific data. Mm -hmm. So uh, in terms of accuracy, numbers, I I think uh, it's not... Fair to compare because the general model is meant for if you take your phone out of your pocket and take a picture, it tells you something meaningful. Uh I mean, we at Clarify have collected massive data sets to make that really accurate. But when you focus on the 10 or 100 or 1000 categories that you care about only, then you can, and it's trained on data that you have access to, then you can really drive the accuracy because it's really solving your specific Mm. problem.
0: So does clarify does clarify offer both a consumer solution take a you know an app that I take a picture and it'll recognize things as well as uh, a business offering?
1: Yeah, we do have a consumer app called forever which lets you apply our general model and our facial recognition to understand your personal photos and it's available mm-hmm. on iOS right now. That's spelt forever with a Y at the end. It's for every one of your photos, okay. and it even lets you teach things. Um, so, this custom training that we just launched in our API—we actually launched it first in Forever. So you can teach it like the name of your pet or your favorite sports okay. car, and all that becomes searchable over your personal pictures, as well as you know your mom's name and your sister's name. It actually recognizes people, so whenever you take a new picture of them, it'll mm-hmm. automatically tag them and index them for
0: search. Hmm. Okay. And to what degree does having that um is is the main reason why or one of the main reasons why you offer that because it allows you to expand the data set for which you're able to train over? Yeah. Well, how does that play into the the model?
1: Yeah, exactly. That was the initial well, there's two initial incentives that the data collection and mm-hmm. it was always really a passion of mine. Uh, even before starting Clarify, before deciding on the API as and building a platform, I was always passionate about applying this technology to my own personal pictures. And that's when I knew it was actually ready to start a business around. I built mm-hmm. a very simple demo and just dragged and dropped my pictures into it and it gave meaningful results. And so it's always been a passion. Plus, it, it's a great way for us to crowdsource data
0: collection that's awesome um what are the what are some of the most popular business use cases that you're seeing
1: yeah i like to bucket them into two uh big buckets one is organization and one is moderation and these apply across Mm -hmm. all different industries so organization uh we have companies like trivago for example that are in the travel space Mm -hmm. they want to take all the user-uploaded and hotel-uploaded photos and tag them with our travel model so that people, maybe the next time you're... um Planning your vacation, you can search for the best pool in Jamaica and it shows you the pictures to compare and make your decision easier. Same story applies in the wedding space with Style Me Pretty. They have users upload their entire wedding album and they use our wedding model to categorize them. And that helps new users come to Style Me Pretty and find inspirations for their wedding. The more new users and the more content, the more ad revenue that they can drive mm-hmm. on Style Me Pretty. And on the moderation side, whenever there's an upload button on the internet or in a mobile app, there's a chance that you're going to get offensive content. And that could be nudity, drugs, weapons, Mm -hmm. violence, lots of different stuff that doesn't, uh, that you don't want on your marketplace. And advertisers don't want to be associated with this content either. So now with our, uh, moderation models, you can build a brand safe section of your site and for your community or to drive ad revenue. Um, and do that automatically and this is traditionally done with a manual uh, work and it just doesn't scale both in terms of how fast a human can respond to new uploads and to how much new content is be- being created by cell phones all over the world so we solve both of those by automating the process
0: hmm. uh, so i'm curious what your thoughts are on where you see opportunities in this space we're here at the future lab summit there are uh, in addition to uh, you know many of the New York AI community, there are lots of NYU students um, you know the next AI entrepreneur might be in the audience there. Uh, where do you think the opportunities lie for uh, folks that are looking to, to do something?
1: Yeah, I think there's a huge amount of opportunity leveraging artificial intelligence and we're starting to see that. Uh, by the sheer number of startups that are being formed around AI. I think uh, one thing that excites me a lot is this personalization capability. I mentioned it in talking uh, about training your pet, training your mom's name in your photos, Um, but that could be anywhere. It could be in Mm -hmm. your Alexa, learning about you. It could be in all your devices. Uh, And the more we see that, uh, the more AI is going to fit to each individual. And I think that's going to be the next wave of AI.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. Any parting thoughts?
1: Um, I, I would urge that any person interested in starting an AI company is not doing it to ride the wave. I think, we, <laughs> uh, and, and not doing it just cause you have cool technology. I think you really want to, uh, have a passion for starting a company because as the company gets bigger and bigger, uh, you'll be doing, if you're the CEO, you'll be doing less and less of the technology yourself. So just, uh, keep that in mind when you're thinking about building a business.
0: You mentioned that on stage, those sound like hard one, hard, uh, learn lessons.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's always, uh, uh itch that I want to scratch to, to get into the code and, uh-huh. and, uh, work on new stuff. Uh, but there's a lot of things that only a CEO can do. And so, right. uh, that's my priority.
0: Right. Well, Matt, thank you so much for taking the time and being on the show. It was great chatting with you. Thanks for having me. All right, everyone. That's our show for today. Once again, thanks so much for listening and for your continued support. Please don't forget to share your favorite quote from this show via the show notes page, via Twitter, or via our Facebook page. If you do, we'll be happy to send you one of our laptop stickers. The notes for this show will be up on twimlai.com slash talk slash 22, where you'll find links to Matt and Clarify and the various resources we've mentioned in the show. Thanks so much for listening and catch you next time.